Hello there, podcast fans. I am here with your favorite podcast host, Barbara Bray. Hello, Mom. Hi, Andrew, son. (laughs) (laughs) It's so good to see you. It's so good to see you, too. Uh, We've got a, a bit of memory lane for this upcoming podcast um, because um, we're, we're going to be listening to one of my old childhood friends who <laughs> was always really rad, but turned into uh, a, what well, I'll just call it, I'll just say it as I see it, which is turned into a badass and a heck of a leader. So I just want to dive on in and tell us a little bit uh, about our next guest, mom. Well, Janella Watson I've known Janella since she was four. What's so neat is that we connected again. And I'll tell a little bit about about her first. She was working at the New York Children's Museum and designed all the learning environments using a lot of the tools that I talked about in my first two books. Mm. And she said she's doing a lot of the same things, trying to get kids to have their own agency and create creative learning environments around play. But she's also worked in a correctional facility and helping bring in play with the inmates and their children. That's only one. She's worked at Sesame Workshop. She's worked with the Nickelodeon. She's done, I would have wanted to talk to her. I didn't know her when she was a kid. We talked about my virtual porch. She says, I've been on your real porch. (laughs) (laughs) That's something uh, everyone should know right now. My mom, Barbara Bray, is... We're Zooming uh, from our respective places, um, and she is podcasting from not just her home, but the home that she has lived in for years, where I was raised, the the same exact porch that Janella Watson is talking about uh, in Oakland, California. She did bring up playing with you and Nick next door. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think everyone's going to enjoy not only going down memory lane, but also the stories and, and some of the amazing achievements uh, that she has and what she's still doing. It's, uh, I think people will be glad that they listen to this wonderful podcast. <laughs> right. Sounds like Janella Watson has done a great job of both defining and growing her why. Yes. Before we dive on in, I just want to take a, a brief moment to plug your new book, which again, Everyone is called Grow Your Why. Would you be able to tell everybody just a little bit about, about the book, just uh, if they aren't familiar with it yet? It's about 23 personal narratives from amazing, unbelievable people who share their heart, their soul, their, and, and they were all on my podcast. So figured out which stories would be the best for the book. And it, it's been a journey for all of us. I just can't wait till people read it and realize that these are amazing people who not only gave you, you know, their story, but they also gave you some of their questions they still have and the directions that they think that would help other people and inspire them to be a writer, write their own story. So I hope they read it. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's the takeaway from podcasts like, well, like this one, like yours, that Mm -hmm. we can, we can inspire ourselves by surrounding ourselves with the kind of people that we want to emulate, that we want to grow Mm -hmm. from. So how would people find Grow Your Why? Well, if they go to, I'm going to put it all over, it's going to be on barbabray.net, 
but I also have a publishing side. It's whypresspublishing.net. And I'll have all the, you know, links to the stories and the people and everything. Yes. It's exciting. And there's so many stories out there that are just amazing. Well, enough keeping you waiting. Um, let's let's get listening to someone who will probably be on the next Grow Your Why book, Barbara Bray <laughs> with Janella Watson. I have someone here who I've known a long time, and I am just really excited to have Janella Watson here. Janella, thank you so much for being on my virtual porch. Oh, Barbara, it is such a joy to be with you again. I remember running around your actual porch as a kiddo. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, mean, I I think I've mentioned it already in the intro, but I'm going to do it again. Just seeing you, I'm, we're doing the Zoom so I can see Janella's beautiful smile. I remember Janella, four years old. <laughs> so there's a lot of history between us, but I want my audience to know about you. I just, I'm blown away. Every time I talk to you, it, your life is just expanding and growing and rich. And anyway, let me tell my audience about you. Sound okay? Please do, Barbara. Uh, I'm going to say your name again. Janella Watson is an international speaker and educational consultant. She's drawing on more than 20 years of work as a researcher and practitioner in children's museums and science centers. She is renowned for creating curricula and play experiences that center equity and spark joy, learning, and whole family engagement. Now, if people know me, this is kind of my focus has been joy and equity and I and engagement. Absolutely. Each piece that you write, I think, um, you know, hits right to the heart of me, Barbara. It's oh. it's wild and wonderful to see the principles and values that guide my work echoed so closely in the work that you do um and bring into <sighs> the world. You know, it's so amazing. I mean, it almost makes me want to cry. I look at you and remember you playing on my porch in my backyard <laughs> and just watching you grow like this. Let me tell him you're new, what you're doing now. It's amazing. You're founder and CEO of Watson Creative Consulting. You lead a multi-hyphenate team. I've never heard that term before, but I love it. In the development of culturally responsive children's content, curricula, and storytelling for client you have clients including Nickelodeon, Spin Master and Entertainment, and Sesame Workshop. And that's only a little bit. I know it's so amazing. Oh, Janella, oh, thank you for being here. Thank you, Barbara. Um, such a pleasure. And thank you for the, the thoughtful questions that you posed in um, preparing for our porch conversation. And they really got me um, thinking back and um, reminiscing, but also really distilling down kind of what, um, what drives me in the work as I just keep wondering and wandering um, yeah. <laughs> uh, through this world. So um, so glad to, to be with you and to spark this conversation. Well, Spark is right. 
uh, we talked about your purpose, your why, and I want you just share some of that. I'm sitting here going, oh my gosh, <laughs> share your why with us. Well, the heart of my why, Barbara, really stems from the idea that all of our children, every child, deserves to see themselves reflected in what we create. And so I'm driven by um, the tenets of authentic, inclusive representation, the idea that when we are creating play experiences, classroom materials, experiences in libraries, or children's media, we need to center the child, the uh, dimensions of their identities, um, so that they can see themselves reflected uh, on screens, in the books that we write, um, and in the exhibits and toys that we create uh, to spark those joyful, playful learning experiences along the way. Oh, that is so, I mean, I think you were sitting in front of the TV when watching Sesame Street a long time ago, too. I mean, it's amazing how it comes around again. I mean, it's just the joy and it is all about our kids. I mean, if they're our future. And do you want to tell a little bit about growing up here in Oakland? I mean, you were right down the street, <laughs> real close. <laughs> yep. I grew up in the foothills of, of Oakland, California. Your son, Andrew, um, and your next door neighbor, Nick, were really my dearest friends growing yeah. up. Really, my fondest memories were of exploring and playing in the natural world, our backyards, kind of looking closely, creating potions, um, <laughs> you know, uh, really kind of rough and tumble kids, um, and also just learning at the feet of the caring adults um, in my life. So, you know, I was always listening and took such inspiration from the adults around me. My dad was an engineer and my mom um, an accountant. She's really one of the most hardworking and generous spirits that I know. I learned along the way from um, educators and entrepreneurs like you um, who were models for me of um, what it meant to really find your unique purpose um, in the world. My grandmother, Helen, as well, who was a special educator throughout her career, um, mm -hmm. and really, like, uh, she is an incredible storyteller, and so she regaled me with tales of the classroom and really helped me understand what um, what possibilities were in differentiating learning um, for kids. And also, um, she, you know, really embodied this spirit of seeing each child and the and the gifts that they possess um, and helping bring those to the forefront um, in terms of how we teach. But with all of that shared, most definitely my grandpa, Peter Klemchuk, was my um, greatest inspiration. He was really my science hero. Peter was a chemist, really someone who who changed the world for the 
for the better, but he was also a self-taught photographer. He had a dark room in his basement. He was a classical music aficionado. He was a master gardener and, you know, did volunteer research at the New York Botanical Gardens. Um, He really had a zeal for exploring the world. And it's something that he shared really generously with his grandchildren. Um, Whether it was tinkering in the garden or helping him repair the tractor, um, you know, on the on the farm that he and my grandma retired to. Um, he had this way of inviting folks in. You know, he didn't make the science so complex. Um, he instead kind of gave us each this special window into how the world around us works. Um, and it's really my key passion to share that curiosity and that sense of awe and wonder about the world around us um, with every child, with every learner, with every family. It's been, you know, kind of the key to the ways that I explore the world, but also the ways that I encourage others to, you know, to share their their stories and experiences, um, to look closely and to and to really kind of wonder about ourselves, um, our place in the world, and the possibilities um, that arise when we we do that kind of deep noticing. Mm. Ah, it's amazing because. The whole di- idea that your grandfather did and of noticing learning as it happens, it's really apparent in what the work you're doing. And it's also um, a passion of mine also, <laughs> this idea that learning is happening everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's not just school, it's happening everywhere. And so oh. you mentioned to me when we were talking a little bit about doing this podcast about your truest whys. And it took you farther than, you know, you went farther with this idea of learning as it happens. Can you share a little bit about that? Absolutely. So really the foundation of my current practice, and it's ever-evolving, started in children's museums and science centers. So I worked in the museum field for 20 years um, as a researcher, as an educator, practitioner, a marketer. Really, I wore every hat um, within a a museum um, that I could, wanting to understand kind of how um, each of the roles um, and opportunities to engage families came to life and how deeply they depend on each other in order to make it happen. A lot of my early experiences in the museum world were spent exploring project-based learning and Reggio Emilia and some of the key pieces of early childhood education, which really Honestly, my my partner is a, a youth educator, and we often talk about how it's actually a continuum, you know, um, that the the same approaches that I've always used with toddlers, um, he brings back into uh, into fashion with the teenagers that he's working with day to day. 
and their needs are often the same too. But it was really when at the New York Hall of Science, I stumbled into their newly constructed maker space that I knew I had stumbled upon something that would be transformative for me. So stepping into that shell of a makerspace, I knew immediately that I wanted young children and, and their families to feel at home in that space. And so it sparked a conversation with my colleagues about the underpinnings of design engineering and design learning for young kids. I kind of went rogue uh, (laughs) and created a pilot program called Little Makers, tinkering, designing, and making for uh, kiddos ages 18 months through eight years old and their families with this emphasis on sensory-rich exploration of materials, tools, and their own ideas. We had kiddos doing everything from shaking up batches of butter um, and exploring kitchen chemistry to you know, exploring circuitry with LEDs and coin cell batteries um, and lighting up their own creations along the way. It all taught me quite a bit about how to really center children's ideas, their kind of unique perspectives on the world, and how to help them build their voice, their confidence, their agency in the midst of exploring, playing, tinkering, and making along the way. I just think I want to jump in because you mentioned Reggio Emilia. I wonder how much that impacted the design of actually those spaces. Because yeah. if you you talked about the different, you know, circuitry and mm-hmm. did they have multiple areas to, you know, explore or were they all working on the same one at the same Absolutely. time? Well, across my 20 years, I've certainly had many iterations along the same themes, but because project-based learning and Regio are at the heart of my practice, um, Little Makers in particular did take on the shape of centers or areas of exploration that built on each other. So in each of those workshops, it started with a a sensory-rich exposure or experience that helped kids come face-to-face with the STEAM kind of concepts that underpin the activity that we were going through. And often I would pair those materials to explore or the phenomena to, um, to play around with, with a picture book. I find that there's so much goodness that springs from um, from picture books and the connection of exploration with, um, with storytelling, I think is one of the most universal gateways in, right, to, um, to learning. And so families would kind of wander into this space explore the materials in this kind of precursory way. And then there would be buffets of materials and tools, incredible youth explainers to uh, to support their exploration in this space. 
than a, a making activity where really process still was the focus as opposed to what the kids would create. But um, whether the kiddos were exploring circuitry um, or exploring sound by making drums, there was always a kind of hands-on, minds-on activity where they were creating something. And then a documentation station um, within the mm-hmm. makerspace where they were invited to mural about their experiences in the, the makerspace, <laughs> so doing some sketching and drawing, especially for those who um, were, you know, were still kind of uh, um, either pre-verbal or um, just exploring how to, you know, to write and label the things that they had created along the way. Um, so an active opportunity for them to share their pride in what they had created, the things that they discovered along the way, and um, things that they were still wondering about in the midst of um, the activities that they experienced in that space. It's amazing that you said 18 months. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that. I mean, I mean we forget that kids. From the very beginning. Yeah. yeah. It, well, they're already exploring and learning and, you know, and they're curious. And you talked to me about being curious, which mm-hmm. I think is really important. Um, you also, well, you have a beautiful son, Grayson. Mm-hmm. He's probably helping you now too, right? With some of the yeah. ideas. And my team and I have called him hands-on professional development since he <laughs> came on the scene 10 years ago. Um and, oh. and truly, you know, I think that as an educator, there was so much that I was learning, you know, experientially through, you know, the museums that I was engaged in, the professional development that I went through. Mm-hmm. But nothing quite prepared me um, along this path than, um, you know, the experience of being a, a caring adult in this kiddo's life. So Grayson had, growing up, a really significant speech delay as we were exploring early intervention and getting him evaluated when he was uh, very young. I called a dear friend of mine, an educator named Steve Davy, and I said, Steve, as an as an educator, I understand some things. And as a mom, I am freaking out. <laughs> um, and I said, you know, what should I be thinking? What should I be doing to help Grayson in this moment? And Steve's response to me was let's first talk about who Grayson is and his unique perspective on the world. And Steve said, you know, Grayson sees the world through numbers. He's a pattern seeker. He loves music. Those are all intimately connected. And along the way, in the midst of this conversation, Steve said to me, Janella, Grayson is too busy to talk to you right now. He has more important work to do. Oh, I love that. (laughs) It was a sentiment, Barbara, that really, it calmed me as a parent. It helped me slow down 
in my rush to find, you know, the right therapists and the right interventionists. And it also helped me understand that all of the fixations and fascinations that Grayson had, all of his deep-seated interests, um, that I could use them as tools to contextualize what he needed to learn and what he needed to practice along the way. Wow. And so I brought that perspective to the makerspace, to the programs that I was creating for kids and families along the way. And it really reshaped for me my sense of, well, first it prepared me for work with young children on the autism spectrum. And so opening up those makerspace experiences to young children on the spectrum, those with sensory sensitivities, um, and learning the power of those sensory-rich exposures from a very young age, how kind of um, the lusciousness and kind of the invitation, the bling of the LEDs could draw even the most sensory sensitive kiddos into, you know, new exposures and experiences along the way. I definitely credit Grayson um, each step of the way of helping me to um, slow down and to <laughs> notice and to, you know, listen uh, carefully and closely for those things that kids tell us not only through um, their words, but also through the choices that they make along the way. I really am ever grateful for the ways that he has uh, taught me to take fresh eyes to my education practice. Um, time and time Aww. again, he surprises me along the way. You know, that's amazing because I, felt having children and especially curious children like I did and very creative helped me uh, become a better educator, become a better, a little more patient mm -hmm. myself because I was like you, why is, I want this fixed now kind of thing. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of parents like that who really don't know what to do about certain situations. In fact, you mentioned something about working, partnering the Children's Museum with a correctional facility. Yeah. That, you got to tell me, tell everyone about that. That is pretty interesting. So at the tail end of my museum career, I worked in a children's museum that had an extraordinary 30-year-old partnership with the Department of Children youth and family services here in the state of Rhode Island. On staff, we actually had 15 clinicians who did visitation for court-separated families. And so the visits would happen within the museum's exhibits. You know, through that program and uh, its richness and its complexities, it really reshaped for me who I understood a museum was for. The fact that families were meeting in a joyful place where they were all learning through play. 
it helped me understand how a museum could have a social service heart in the very center of its practices. On the strength of that program, the founder and the incredible visionary Heidi Brinig and I were approached by the Rhode Island Department of Corrections. And we were asked to make to make visitation between kids and their incarcerated parents more playful um, mm-hmm. and clandestinely to help the correctional officers understand the signatures of healthy play and development. So they would be less likely to shut down the the play as it happened on these visits. And so on my very first Saturday, working, um, observing, and uh, stepping into the medium security facility, I first noticed the tremendous, tremendous joy in the space. It was palpable. The kids were dropped off by their caregivers. They were guided into a space that was very cafeteria-like, lots of tables and chairs and a few cabinets of toys and games. And the fathers and their children could play together uninterrupted for about an hour and a half. There were dads changing diapers for the first time um, in that space. There were games of tag and, you know, catch going on. There were quieter, more serious conversations between dads and their teens happening in each corner of the space. And on that very first Saturday, I met two kids who were Grayson's schoolmates. And it was a moment, Barbara, that broke me open in the best possible way. It was an experience that had me say to myself, these are all our kids and they are learning side by side. They are playing on the playground together. And I knew from those experiences that I wanted social service and social justice to be um, a key piece of whatever I did next. And in the same moment that I was having these really transformative experiences um, in the museum world and with the visits to the correctional um, facilities, I was also um, going through a little bit of an existential uh, crisis myself. Um, And I was wondering if museum work was the the place I wanted to stay and to be. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I gave a tremendous gift to myself in that moment And I hired a leadership and job coach. (laughs) Uh, Her name is Kate Livingston. And in my very first conversations with Kate, she asked me two key questions that actually um, my team will tell you, I repeat 
daily. At the first question that Kate asked me in the midst of uh, this coaching was, Janella, what do you want to learn that will prepare you for whatever comes next in your path? What skills do you want to sharpen? Um, I knew immediately that I needed to learn how to delegate, Barbara. (laughs) (laughs) That's not easy. (laughs) I couldn't be everything to every project that I took on, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It only took me 40 years or so to uh, (laughs) to discover that that's what needed to happen next. Um, and, um, And the second question that Kate asked me was, what do you want to give in this moment that is uniquely yours? And she was speaking about kind of my inevitable departure from this particular museum and most likely from the museum field. It was such a generous invitation. She helped me think about what was uniquely mine to impart to the kids and families who I was serving in the museum, the families that I was visiting in the correctional facilities. It was an invitation to think about how to prepare my staff, my AmeriCorps members, and volunteers to strengthen their practices, and also to an invitation to think of a swan song to the museum field before I parted ways and an opportunity to impart the things that I had learned along the way that I thought the field may benefit from. And so those are, you know, out of it tumbled those distinct whys and those truest (laughs) whys that you were speaking of, you know, uh, a, a focus on building kiddos' voice confidence, their agency, that notion of following my own child's and every child's interests, their unique perspective on the world, um, and that social service and social justice would be the heart of any project that I pursued next. What a great, I love the question she asked you. Mm-hmm. And it's fun because I actually, that's a direction I went into. Like, what is your why? What is makes your heart sing? What is the things? Why are you doing what you're doing? Why, why would you like to do something different? What would it be? You know, like all of that. Mm-hmm. You, It's almost like you gave yourself not only a gift, it helped change your whole focus and you started your consulting firm. And it's, I mean, more power to you. It's not easy to do. Well, and Barbara, you and I both carry that sentiment of mm-hmm. what makes your heart sing. I um, <laughs> I was so I was overjoyed to find that you and I um, have both centered our practice um, with that thought. And for me, I determined myself when I finally stepped away from the museum world. Um, I was really wondering what I wanted to be when I grew up or as I grew up, you, know? um, you were already grown up. It's just- and so I, I determined, um, I decided to find 
and follow one project at a time that makes my heart sing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it helps me develop a new criteria um, in terms of how I wanted to elevate my impact beyond kind of a, a single museum or a single community. Um, but really, I just started saying yes and no to projects that fell into my lap. And so the first ones that I said yes to were um, an ed tech startup. So I worked with them for several years in developing a social emotional adventure game for kids and families. And then I received a call from, um, from a team from the public affairs team at Nickelodeon. Um, And in that call, they said, we don't know if you remember us, but in a conversation, in a, you know, around a conference table four years ago, you said, um, and it sounded very much like something Janella would have said um, along the way. And um, that call really came after the murder of George Floyd. And during our summer of unrest, this team said to me, we don't even know exactly what we're asking of you, but we know we want to create new, you know, and resonant messages and tell some new stories. And they really wondered how they would do so, um, especially, you know, when um, farts and slime and SpongeBob had really been kind of the, um, the, you know, the key, the key guides in the brand. And over the course of the past, you know, three years in building our business, that que- those set of questions have evolved. Um, and my team and I are um, now serve as lead writers for Nickelodeon's public affairs team. We help them write resonant messages for kids, for um, parents and caring adults, for educators and for policymakers. Work hand in hand with that team in order to tackle um, pro-social skill building, anti-bullying campaigns, and write with them um, blending their voice and their partners' voices on everything from climate change and Black Lives Matter to anti-bullying and uh, mm-hmm. even, you know, uh, even some some work that involves um, slime time and the NFL. And um, so it's a um, it's a wild ride from beginning to end. You'll have to put a, you know, we write a post to go with this podcast, and we have to have a link to some of these because I think people would especially educators right now and parents probably mm-hmm. would love to have these um, resources for Absolutely. their kids. Mm-hmm. And, and really that is the, that is the impetus in the work, you know, mm-hmm. I think that especially um, at this unique inflection point at this change moment in all of our lives, I find myself as a parent often at a loss for Mm -hmm. ways to talk with my kiddo about what's happening in the world. And he certainly presses me on it. Um, You know, his, his curiosity and wonder is in full, in full force. And so 
it's been an honor to work with that team and with our other clients to provide resources to the caring adults in our children's lives and to help them have the difficult conversations and the ones that I often think, especially through our pandemic experiences, but also with an increased level of violence in our world that our kids are um, keenly aware of even when we're not speaking directly with them about it, Mm -hmm. that actually every child has relative experiences of trauma. And so in all that we create across our our client work, we start with trauma-informed practice, culturally responsive education practice, and try to impart that not only to, you know, when clients are speaking directly to kids and parents, but also when their writers and their animators are are creating um, for kids and families. We want everyone to have a, a key understanding of how to make sure that whew, no character um, has to... Uh, lead with their trauma or the worst things that have happened to them. Um, and that every every child, regardless of their racial, ethnic, and cultural identity, the dimensions of their of their families, experiences in the world, see themselves joyfully reflected in uh, the content that uh, these companies are creating. Yeah. You know, you mentioned, well, we mentioned, I mentioned in the uh, introduction about Sesame Workshop, you mm-hmm. even did some work with helping them create new Muppets. I mean. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I will say along the way, the funniest thing I've ever heard come out of my own mouth was um, if racial justice is the work of each of us, it's certainly the work of every Muppet. Um, <laughs> and, um, and so I've I've been really honored to work with Sesame Workshop across the past few years as uh, a consultant to their racial justice initiative coming together. Um, together, we've helped them create uh, academic underpinnings and strategy for um, creating and introducing their new Black Indigenous Muppets of Color um, to the street um, and helped lay the foundation for their creation of their culture trust, which guides um, authentic, inclusive representation and um, kind of uh, collective thinking across the content that they create so that it can be ever more inclusive and representative of um, mm. of all of our kids. Oh my goodness. I Boy, I don't want to end this because I, time-wise, I want to make sure that I we talk about everything, but I think we're going to have to send some people to the, make sure they read the post because your um, list of clients and the amazing work you're doing around racial justice, social justice, and uh, inclusive, you know, creating authentic, inclusive representation is 
teachers are supposed to be doing this, but they don't know how. And these are so wonderful. These resources can help them. So absolutely. <laughs> well, I and just, I, I would say, Barbara, the conversation will continue. Um, we have I'm, to. Um, I'm, I'm happy to be on your porch today, and I have faith that our paths will circle back. I learned from you um, in each of the conversations that we have. And truly, you know, I appreciate the exercise that it was to kind of ponder the questions that you posed. And one of the key takeaways that I have or reflections that I've had across the past few days in preparing to, to chat with you was just, you know, as I continue to wander and wonder uh, mm-hmm. through the work and through the world, keeping those kind of guiding values uh, at the at the heart of my practice to, you know, to lead with compassion, with strategy and with integrity and to privilege play in mm-hmm. all that we do to help creators, educators, um, and each of us as parents and caring adults to kiddos demonstrate a reverence and a respect for how capable our our kids are and to root what we do in equity and in justice as best we can along the way. Oh my goodness, what a great way to... <laughs> You're so amazing, Janilla. I just... Oh, I, I, I mean, it's so fun to know. I mean, I I was going to go back and look and see if I can find some pictures of us when you were little. Oh, <laughs> I, wonder, I will, you know, I will go on the hunt too. Let's just find it. We'll we share them. On. We'll share them. <laughs> I mean, I went. I was just telling you, I went to your wedding. I didn't. I've yeah. seen you celebrate, but um, now that you're living yeah. on the other coast and in New York, it's you know, it's not been easy. I'm so grateful for Zoom so I can see your beautiful face and share your story with the world. I just... Absolutely. And thank you for sharing your journey and your insights, not only with me, but with all of us. And it is, it's such a joy to to talk with you again. Well, Janella, just in case someone doesn't go to the post, what's the best way for people to contact you or reach you? You can find me on my website at watsoncreativeconsulting.com. And um, I am always reachable uh, on LinkedIn. I think I've shared with you uh, and it'll be shared in the post too, Mm -hmm. how to find me along the way. Thank you so much. I just, I wish I could just hug you, but there's a virtual hug for you. I want everyone to know what you're doing and. Cannot wait sending, to put this up. I mean, good vibrations your way always. Um, yeah. And thank you so much. Oh, thank you. You have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you for listening to the Rethinking Learning Podcast and my conversation with Janella Watson. I've known Janella since she was a little girl. Always knew she would make a difference in the world by fostering creativity and curiosity in young learners. Make sure you check out the blog post that goes with this podcast on my website, barbarabray.net. And that way you'll learn more about Janella's work. She's created sensory-rich experiences in museums and correctional facilities. She created materials 
and is still creating materials for Nickelodeon. She's developing strategy for racial justice for Sesame Workshop and oh, so much more. It would be awesome if you subscribed to my podcast. I'd be really grateful if you wrote a review. Thanks again for listening. Keep sharing your story and please stay safe and be well. 